Welcome to St. James Parish in Wilmington, North Carolina. You can learn more about St. James on our website at stjamesp.org. May I begin this morning with a question for you to ponder. Do you have a favorite book in the Bible? Maybe you can't think of one right away. How about a favorite chapter in a book of the Bible? If that's a toughie, that's okay as well. How about a favorite verse? A favorite verse, something perhaps you can recall at will, maybe add it to your prayers or your thoughts on a regular basis. Many of us hopefully have at least a verse in mind. It's certainly where a member or two of my family was able to weigh in as I worked on my sermon this week. I asked our 20-year-old, Ella Catherine. She came up with this. Sure, Dad, my favorite verse, it's the one hanging in our bathroom. Love is patient, love is kind, it doesn't boast, it's not proud, blah, blah, blah. Love never fails. By the way, Dad, why is that in our bathroom anyway? I appreciated her answer. Actually, that hangs in our kitchen, not in our bathroom. I'll say more about that later, though. Here's the thing, my friends. I think we can, most of us, when asked, spout off all of the things that we shouldn't do. We vaguely know the commandments to live by based on Moses. We know the laws that govern our city and our country, our county and our world. In other words, I think we're pretty good at knowing how to stay out of trouble, right? So I'm not about to preach a sermon here this morning that suggests we turn our back on the laws of the land. After all, on this day, tomorrow in history, most days even now, we are a better nation when we remember the ideals of those who first established the United States of America, acknowledging, though, that they firmly knew even then that things weren't quite perfect, quite right, That's why they called our goal to point towards a more perfect union. We'll celebrate that tomorrow. I trust that we all know celebrating our country for its goodness, supporting and working together for its continued improvement is forefront in our minds, our hearts, our actions every day. But today, I do want to talk about the laws that are designed to make us good people the moral laws, the civil laws, the ceremonial rules that no one of us can keep 100% of the time. Although we try, we abide, we pay our taxes, we try to keep that speedometer somewhere in the vicinity of the limit. We kind of know how to keep those Ten Commandments, feeling good about following some of them. Just for the record, I've never murdered anyone. But sometimes we're not so good about others. Just for the record, I'm a little envious of that handsome red, white, and blue shirt that John is wearing this morning. But for the most part, we obey. Even if on the inside we don't always feel like doing it, even if we're a little empty about always following those laws. But I believe, actually, that's the reason. The law is there for one purpose, to control, to draw lines, to keep our behaviors within a very set boundary, And sometimes they even work, again, on the outside. But our motivation then comes from those boundaries, not from our hearts. What I'd like to think about this morning is what's on our inside, your inside, my inside. 
Think about this, and I know it's a bit of a strange analogy, but stay with me. Watches and cars and Christians kind of all have the same need. That's for things to work correctly on the inside. To be able to tell time, to transport ourselves safely, to live out lives of true peace and joy respectfully. So how then do we avoid that beautiful watch that can't tell time? Or that bright and shiny car that's always in the repair shop? Or a life that is hollow and simply going through the motions? Well, respectfully, I'm going to let you all figure out the first two questions. I'll take on the third. Maybe the easiest, maybe the simplest. I wondered earlier about your favorite book of the Bible. I'll tell you this morning one of mine. Galatians. It's not very long. It's often overlooked. But this particular letter from Paul has been called the Gospel of Grace. And for good reason. Paul's writing to this young Christian church in Galatia, which has helped, he helped found on his first missionary trip. You can find Galatia on the map today, only it's called Turkey. And Paul doesn't pull any punches with this letter. His tone actually is pretty cranky, which is saying a lot considering it's Paul, but he doesn't sugarcoat his words one bit. Paul is directly reminding a community that he loves so much that they actually are loved so much. Turns out there are others in Galatia at this time who've been trying to influence these young Christians back to the Hebrew laws, back to the law set down by Moses. They're advocating that legalism is actually the only way, that without these strict rules, life is lawless and even degenerate. In truth, this group of young Christians in Galatia are just about fully convinced that the Mosaic laws are actually the most important thing. And even more so, that Paul himself is nothing more than a, a false teacher. So Paul could have written them off. He could have been offended. He could have figuratively wiped his sandals of the whole situation. But he didn't. Instead, in this wonderful book, Paul defends his apostleship. He defends this new faith. He spends considerable time reminding them of their freedom, which is a beautiful and important word to consider this weekend, that they are no longer prisoners to the law, and importantly, that those laws were put in place to lead them, to lead us, you and me, to Jesus Christ. Here's the kicker, though. You remember those insides that I mentioned earlier that make a clock tick or a car purr? Well, here it is with Paul. Paul reminds the Galatians, and I quote, because you are sons, and I'm going to add daughters here as well. It's my liberty, but I'm confident in this. Because you are sons and daughters of God, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. The spirit of his son into our hearts that's inside of us. We heard last week, if you were here, and I hope you were, the culmination of chapter 5, that we as brothers and sisters were called to be free, that by living in the Spirit and truly accepting the power of that Spirit, we see the production of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and generosity and faithfulness and goodness and self-control, all of those things. Think about this. Of all of those things that I just mentioned... There's not a single law against any one of those things. 
Why would there be? That's how we're free. We're free because our motivation for good comes from a changed heart inside of us. Here's why I love this particular letter from Paul. Because the challenges and confusions I have today, perhaps you do as well, are the very same struggles that those Galatians faced so many years ago. We don't always have such plain and shiny examples of modern-day issues, but we do here with Paul today. Isn't it still our struggle to remember that the freedom of living by grace isn't the same as falling into legalism, that making rules that might exclude or include only or restrain not only don't feel good, but usually don't work all that well, rather that they harden the heart instead of letting it flow with goodness. Now, just to be clear, on the other hand, being free in the Spirit isn't the same as all of a sudden breaking out into that chorus of anything goes. That the Christian's commitment to walking by the Spirit doesn't mean opening the floodgates to anything, everything, all along the way. I only say that because I think as human beings, sometimes we might lose ourselves at the extremes, either trying to earn our way into heaven by being so legalistic, but never good enough, or then at the other side, just living that life of, uh, what's it called, go big or go home, indulging the worst of our nature. Here's a verse that I think we all partially know pretty well because we just heard it read aloud. And it's kind of a zinger from Paul to the Galatians, I think he might be telling them, I think he might be telling me, I think he might be telling you, quote, God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. So then, my friends, what are we sowing? What are we sowing with our lives? What are we planting in our hearts and in our minds? If we believe in Pentecost, then we really do believe that the very Spirit of God resides inside of us, ready and willing to fertilize whatever it is we plant for the good of God. This might not surprise you, or it might. I recently Googled best scripture verses for teenagers. It's true. Would you believe that the one we just heard popped up on the list? I'll read it again. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Let us not become weary in doing good. It's a wonderful passage for teenagers. Actually, it's a pretty good one for you and me as well. And it looked really pretty in that nice little flowered text box on my laptop. But these words are so powerful if we remember and know that they mean If we sow to the Spirit, if we put God in front of all, we are reaping eternal life. So back to that verse that my daughter memorized, kind of. She saw it in front of her for years, hanging on a wall. By the presence of seeing it again and again, it wedged itself at some point along the way into her mind, into her heart. I believe that being together here week in and week out as a community, being a family of Christ helps us move Scripture from the wall or from the book to our mind, to our heart. God's Spirit is available to all of us right now, my friends, but seeing and experiencing the beauty of lives transformed, lives bearing fruit, 
That is important. That is our work to do together, and it is life-changing, not just for us, but for generations to come. And it is good to be together. In Christ's name, amen.